0: The interviews you read on The Companion are often comprised of segments of a much larger conversation between the subject and the journalist. What you're about to hear is the full interview between Barney Neald and visual effects supervisor John Gadesky, first recorded for The Companion in June 2020. Hey, I'm John Gadetsky and I was a visual effects supervisor for Stargate SG1 season 1 and 2 and uh, the pilot in the first few episodes of Atlantis.
1: I have to say, though, that first episode of Atlantis, the visual
0: of the city coming up, it was... Well, dude, thank you for saying that. We put so much work into that. Actually, there's a really interesting story. Uh, When we did that, you know, I I had been working with Brad Wright, the producer, before, because he was on The Outer Limits with us. And then uh, we worked together on Stargate SG-1. And when they got Stargate uh, Atlantis going, you could tell he'd been working on it for a really long time. Hmm. And when we did the city coming up, there was a gentleman, uh, Matthew Talbot Kelly, who I've worked with as recently as this last year on Blue Book. And uh, we designed the city together. We sort of got general uh, direction from the art department, which was really the pre-production art. And at the time, it looked sort of like a dinner plate with buildings. (laughs) and uh, which was nice, but, you know, that's as far as they took it, and they knew that I was going to run with it regardless of what they did, so uh, Matthew and I got together, and we spent a lot of time designing the layout of the city and trying to come up with a nice silhouette, you know, from this angle, but also something that looks cool from this angle, and enough detail that when you get close and you get past those sort of foreground cities, you still have this thing. It was a I think it was really, really successful. I, the one false step I think we made is there was this giant city holder thing on the bottom of the ocean, which you really don't see. And that was kind of holding it down. But mm. I don't think that really was clear in the final scene. And that was fine by me. But the way we designed the scene is I, where was I? I was in, I think I was in Florida and I shot this picture of a sky. And it was really, really wide. I shot it in tiles and it was sort of, it was at sunrise. Uh, So, you know, you've got those warm, beautiful magenta tones with the softness on one side, but the really blue dark sky uh, on the other. In fact, it was blue on this side and warm on that side. Of course, for your image, it would be... Yeah. And we built the scene around that picture. And it sounds stupid, but... Because it started off blue and dark, it's as if when the city starts coming up, the sun is just, you know, the sun hasn't come up yet. And then as the scene progressed, the camera always moved in the same direction around everything. We designed it specifically for that nice camera move all the time. Every shot has the same move. We're starting and, you know, we're going up and we're going up and we're going up. And with each shot, the movement continued, but the lighting changed and it went from dark just sort of pre-dawn to the sun up. And that was very deliberate. And I think it was really successful because you, you know, mentioned it 20 years after it happened. Yeah. And then there was a shot after it came up with the ring of water coming out. We just kind of made that up at at the last second. And, you know, the CG guys whipped that up and it's like, you you know, there's something not right. And I remember flying to Salt Spring Island in a little twin otter looking down at the ocean and I shot a picture and you could see these, shapes in the ocean you could see these lines where the water had different reflectivities and I got the CG guys to just do that suddenly it looked real it was amazing so I was really happy with that scene. It is
1: I just think it it, it was an incredible way to really kick off that show because it's like the whole show is the city and to have such a perfect like arrival of this thing that up to that point they've been underwater they can't really see what's going
0: on and then, <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah, uh, I loved it. Gonna finish up though, in one second, because where I started was with Brad Wright. Yeah, when we, show Brad, when we showed Brad Wright the scene for the first time, something that clearly he'd been thinking about and planning, and obviously trying to get the studios to make. Well, you know, there wasn't a cliche tier. You could see that he was choked up. You could see that we had done something that he was hoping that we could do, and I think it was really, really successful. It was actually a really good moment.
1: Yeah, so it was a proud moment for you watching the footage with Brad.
0: It really was. You know, he's uh, you know he's very uh, deliberate in what he likes, and you know we've been friends for quite a long time now. Uh, it was just really good to 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 work really hard. It was the, it was the peak of what the technology could do at the time. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any blue book, but some of the water stuff I did in, in the last episode of blue book was truly beautiful. And that I, I can send you a copy of my demo. It's, it's, it's yeah. that's right there. but uh, it, if we could have done Atlantis with the technology today, that would have been completely believable. But at the time, you know, the water was clearly more particle and we could only get it to do so much. And, but uh, we pushed and pushed and pushed. We really, really made that scene work, I think. Right, yeah. I mean, it definitely, it, it's always the thing that sticks with me.
1: Every time I've watched the show, it does really hold on. And um, there was a sequence in a later episode where they brought the footage back. Um, where uh, Zelenka is describing the city coming up. And those two scenes together are just incredible. So it's, it's his description in Czech with the scenes of right. the city rising. I think that's probably my favorite when it, they show it again. Um, so, obviously, that was uh, two thousand No, 2004. Wow, that was a while ago now. And you won. A while ago now. Yeah. Winning the Gemini for that one?
0: Uh, No, they're in the living room. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty sure I did. We got an Emmy nomination, I believe, but we didn't win, uh, which is okay. You get nominations based on merit and you win based on politics. Yeah. And because we live in Canada, uh, that's that, uh, we're hoping to get, uh, an Emmy nom for blue book this year, but you never know. But, uh, yeah, we did get that and we won the Gemini for that, which was really great. I mean, it was really good. We, we, we were really happy with what we did. Yeah. And then um, just jumping
1: back uh, nine years earlier, well, no, more, less than nine years, sorry, back to Stargate SG1. So, had you seen Stargate the film before you had started speaking to Brad about the TV show?
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, what did you think yeah, of it? Yeah, the film was really interesting. It was different. It was lower key, uh, uh, it was a long time ago. I remember watching the film and being amazed by the visual effects. You know, that's kind of my shtick. And just looking at what they did and seeing the, what we ended up calling the kawoosh when the water came out and, you know, the gate activated. That was, uh, that was really something. That was uh, like, how did they do that? It looks so real, but it has to be c g because everything's c g and as we did the research, of course it wasn't they shot it in a big water tank, and we did ours exactly the same way uh, it was also nice the 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 it was really consistent and had a nice texture and had really good stories, but it wasn't too big it was really i i, I thought Stargate was a really great movie. The series sort of picked up there and I think they took it in a really good direction. You know, the, the idea that there were multiple teams out there, I thought that was really clever. Uh, we didn't see too many of them. But, you know, more than anything, it was just a good time. And I, I just mean that for us personally. Uh, I remember we'd be on set, right? And we'd be filming. It, it could be any scene at all. And, you know, you shoot the master and you've got all the guys and everybody's talking. And then Richard Dean Anderson is first. They let him shoot his coverage first. And, you know, he comes up and they shoot his close-up and he does a bit of this and he does a bit of that and he makes some noises and he squints some eyes and you go, wow, this guy's really fucking good because now you've got it. And it's like he just nails it and he goes away and then the other guys come in and they nail it and they go away. And it was just a really good show to be on. I remember one day it was the uh okay funny story i i probably shouldn't be swearing right because i'm not sure if you can use that or not
1: uh i mean i'm not sure to be honest either uh
0: uh, two stories we were uh so hudson hickman was the uh uh the vp in charge of physical production over at mgm and we all got to know hudson really well because he brought us all on the shows and you know i had done Outer Limits, and then I had done Stargate, and then I had done Atlantis, and then I had done Jeremiah. I sort of, aside from Poltergeist, there was this group of shows that MGM brought to Vancouver, which may not initially be obvious from where you're sitting, but it was a great time because we were all from out of town. We were, you know, I was from Toronto. Other people came up from LA. We were all single. It was, it was just this really great group of people working really hard on these shows. And it was really, really something. We had this effects building on the lot that we all worked out of. And uh, I remember Hudson saying, after the third episode, he had to write an email to production. This was quite a long time ago. And he he basically said, can we not go to the rainforest planet anymore? Because Vancouver in the winter, it just rains here and you know, so you go to the forest. And he had a really interesting observation. He said, you know, the way people would read it is, Can we not go to the rainforest planet, you assholes? He said the people reacted way more strongly to his email than he expected. And it was actually one of those life lessons because email was new at the time. It's like, okay, people will always interpret your email more negatively than you mean it. And that was something that I really took to heart just moving forward the way that I would write emails and trying to interact with people. But fundamentally, he was right. Episode one, episode two, we're always outside, we're always in the rain, because that was the weather at the time. and So we really started struggling to create locations that were not just in the forest. And there was one episode where they were on this planet and everything was uh, yellow, it was sulfur. It was this bizarre yellow planet. And we were filming in these huge sulfur pits that they have down by the uh, docks. It was such a sunny day that everybody was sweating and the sulfur you'd walk through and would kick up and would get on your face and then your beads of sweat would just drop it into your eyes. And, uh, they had lots of people there to take care of us.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but, I do remember uh, that
1: because that's uh, cold Lazarus, I think in the first right, season. Um, and I remember the, the, when I first watched that, it was incredibly striking having the blue skies. It was such wow. a beautiful day.
0: Yeah. Uh, it could have gone either way, but it was just blue without a cloud and yellow. And uh, then the crystals on the ground were blue. I, I it was really we got really lucky that day. It was brutal on the crew. I had these these glasses that I had bought with foam around them that just stuck to my eyes so that I wouldn't get anything. But uh, no, it was cool that that was a that was a good that was a hard day, but it it looked really good. Yeah. Uh,
1: so that that would explain why there wasn't more episodes from those sulfur pits.
0: I bet you that was it. In fact, after that, there was sort of a reevaluation like, okay, how can we do this? Where can we go to create these different planets every week? So, you know, the location guys were great. They scoured the city plus, you know, a hundred miles or hundred kilometers in every direction. Where can we go to shoot these locations? you know, the sound stages. Uh, Sheila, the designer, did a great job building these these gigantic sets, but often, you know, you just want to be outside. Funny story. You obviously know the episode names better than I do. Uh, we're on a planet. There's these Greek temples things. There's these temple things, but they have people on the outside of the temples, and I, I remember working with the artist on those shots, and uh, I said, okay, you know, we're on a planet, and uh, it's like they're Greek temples. Okay. But, you know, Sheila's designs had these marble figures on the roofs of the temples. So, you know, this guy's doing the mat painting and he's a really good mat painter. He's building these things and they're looking really great, but he, he hasn't put the people on the temples. And uh, so, you know, it's like two weeks until we deliver. And I say, so, uh, so-and-so, uh, how are we doing with those figures on the temple? He says, well, you know, uh, the Greeks wouldn't put figures on their temples. I said, well, yes, you're right. But but we're in space. See, and it's not really the Greeks. It's just said, okay, okay. A couple of days go by and I get the next version. The figures aren't there. And I, so I phone him up and go, Hey, you know, dude, he's like, well, I really feel strongly about these. The Greeks wouldn't put figures on their temples. And I'm like, mm. but we're in space and it's not the Greeks and just, just put the people on the temples. And he just wouldn't do it. I don't know if he eventually did it and hated me because we probably never worked together or if he didn't do it and I had somebody else put them on. But it's funny, He's like, he just couldn't get past that initial conversation I had where it's like a Greek temple. Wow. When we started, one of the things they brought us, and God, I don't know how they found it, was the, uh, one of the original pyramid models from the movie. Wow. It, it was amazing. In fact, this is why I'm looking. I have pictures of this, of us. I, I don't think we're standing around. You know, it, okay, so funny story. I, I've got lots of stories. Uh, Amanda Tapping mm-hmm. is a director here in town now. So yeah. I worked with her on Van Helsing and a bunch of shows lately. So I've got to continue to work with her. And there's this guy that works with us. He's our visual effects editor. It was just fantastic, a guy named Chris Dager. Love, love working with the guy. And he, like many people, I think, just kind of had a crush on Amanda Tapping. So Amanda, and Chris is like, he was a bouncer, and he's a big, tough guy. And, you know, he, he doesn't smoke anymore, but he did you know, like, he's just, yeah, hey, how you doing, right? And uh, so he comes across as this really gruff guy who's gonna grab what he wants. So we have a meeting, and. Amanda comes in and she's just sitting beside me and Chris is like showing some shots and I look over him and it's like, you know, it's Amanda. He's like, yeah, hello. This big tough guy completely melts down and couldn't even say anything. It was really, really, really funny. But uh, so, uh, okay, another story, I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. I, flew into, I, I lived in Toronto for 10 years and I lived in Vancouver at the same time. And As you're probably aware, Canada is really, really big. So it's like a four-hour flight back and forth. But for 10 years, I had an apartment in both cities. And uh, I remember flying in after New Year's, and the Vancouver airport was under renovations. And it was packed, 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 packed. It was just one of those things where, you know, New Year's was on the Saturday, and Monday was the first day of work. And everyone flew in on Sunday. Everyone on earth, as far as we could tell. And I'm standing there and I'm looking outside and the line of, for taxis is, I don't know, 15 kilometers long. And I see Amanda. And Amanda's there and say, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, you uh, good, I'll see you at work tomorrow. And she's like, well, how are you getting home? I said, well, I don't know, I'm gonna take a taxi. And she's like, well, they've got a limo for me, it's 50 feet long, why don't you come along? Because, you know, you either have taxis or you have limos. And so she waited for me to get my bags and then as we were walking, there was another film crew, and she waited for them to get their bags. And then she had the limo take us all home. Wow. Which was really super. Yeah. That's, it's, it's always nice to hear that they're such nice
1: people as well.
0: They were super people. It was, it was just one of those shows that I really enjoyed working on. Because the other thing I wanted to speak to you about is the, uh, the Kwoosh. The whoosh. We uh, called it the Kitching. Because it was so expensive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, media, I, I remember gonna, reading somewhere, I think it was the ninth season, that they had to reduce costs. So they basically never
0: showed the gate opening. That's really funny. When we were planning episode one, uh there's Bob Habros and I, and I think Ted Ray were the supervisors. Bob's, uh, Bob actually just did uh, uh, Project Blue Book with me. So he was the other supervisor on Project Blue Book uh, as well. And Bob's wife, Sandra, uh, she was my visual effects producer for years and years and years. It's, it's a small group of people up here and we all kind of hang out. It's quite, uh, it's quite a lot of fun. So uh, I remember staking the gate room and saying, okay, you guys need to choose where you're going to do these gate shots because we're going to shoot models. We're going to shoot elements. We can't, back in those days, you couldn't do a lot of this, you know, perspective shifting with it. So we chose four angles and we shot the gates from those four angles. And the plan was that you would, you know, you would be able to line them up and in post just whistle them through and there'd be nothing to it. It didn't really work out that way. It was always more difficult than we thought. Um, Cause the big
1: question, uh, well, one of the questions that um, Jonathan sent through, which I'm actually quite fascinated myself, is obviously you've watched the film and you've yes. seen that kawoosh, and that Koosh moment in the film is is like a massive moment for the film. Because like you said, it did look real, and it did look un- yes. like crazy impressive. And then you are brought in on the TV show to recreate that on a TV budget in 97, which I can't imagine was... As good it as was it, brutal. Uh, could be, yeah. Like, how did you? How did you approach that?
0: Well, the the first thing is, and you know, it's funny because I have pictures of this somewhere, but they're not here. The kooch was. The good news was, there's a magazine called Cinefx, and I don't know if you've ever read it. Fantastic magazine. I mean, it's kind of visual effects for visual effects people, and I read every single one up until. I just couldn't take it anymore because it just became the ILM magazine. You know, it just kind of became the ILM magazine and then we put it into our proprietary tracking software. So the, the magazine Cinefax talked about how they did the Kwoosh and that was really the secret uh, because they had pictures behind the scenes, they talked about how they put it together and what was done So we started with that. Now, my company in Toronto had a model shop. So we were set up to do this kind of work. We had a cloud tank that we bought, but it was just small. So we actually ordered a special one for the show. And it was one meter by one meter by one meter. Now, if you know your metric system, that's the definition of one metric tonne. One meter cubed of water is one metric ton at sea level. So we built this thing and we had to reinforce the floor because it's one metric ton. The other thing we had to do was make sure the bottom was open so we could film, right? Because we filmed on set, I knew the angles of the gate relative to the camera. And then we made sure that the tank was clear so that we could get those angles. I mean, it sounds like it makes sense, but if you don't do it, you can't get the shot and then you, so it's actually a lot of preemptive thinking that goes into building these things. Uh, so the tank was there, uh, our special effects guy in Toronto, a guy named Pete Edmonds, who could make anything blow up, but always with, with, with such art. Uh, Pete, we set up a, uh, an air cannon above so we set up, because one thing the Cinefax Magazine didn't tell us was what pressure to use, right? How much air pressure. So we, so uh, I have a 35 mil high-speed Mitchell, still have it, uh, and we set the camera up, and we set the lights up, and we shot some tests, and we looked at the tests, but we didn't re- you know, we were just kind of frigging around. And then we got some, ready for the first shot, and we set the pressure to uh, I pr- probably like 50 pounds. So we roll the camera at 120 frames per second. The water is as flat as we can make it. You push the button and it just lets the water or the air go down a tube right into the water. Well, as it turns out, they used about five pounds or 10 pounds, so 50 pounds just emptied the tank everywhere, like everywhere. It was spectacularly cool, but okay. But you know, fill it back up, everybody dry off, and we're gonna do that again.
1: So it's essentially, you were were just shooting air into the water in order to get that punch effect. Correct. the kawoosh
0: punch. Now in the movie, they did something super sexy. After the water went back, there was that swirly thing on the other side, Mm -hmm. and it was decided between Brad and Jonathan and, and us and, and you know, Sheila, that we weren't gonna do that. It was just a whole nother complexity that we really couldn't afford. So we got the kawoosh part coming out and then it would sort of settle down and then turn into the water ripples. The water ripples we did in Maya, which was called Alias at the time. And uh, so the software gave us those ripples and it took us quite a long time to get that really nice feeling And then as people passed through, which we called a pass through, uh, you'd have to roto the people so that they would disappear at a certain point, right? Uh, As they pass through. And then we would have, uh, we'd need ripples to come out from that point. And the way the software worked at the time is you could only have three ripples. That's all you can have. So when you watch the early episodes, they go through and these three ripples would come out and then you'd either have to cut away Or we'd have to find a way to then render that go back and then add more ripples on top of it was actually quite difficult it, it, it was so difficult in fact that One of the vendors because my company was on it, but there were also other vendors working on it uh, They all had to be able to do this and they had a very hard time one of the other companies had a very hard time figuring it out so we uh we were uh, encouraged very strongly by the studio to do a phone call and explain to them how to do this stuff and my guys were pissed but we did it because i was the supervisor for the show not just for my company and i was perfectly fair but it's very unusual to have one company explain to another how to create something.
1: Yeah. I, I, I've, I've never quite known of that scenario happening. You think, um,
0: that's right. I think, no, I've, I think it's
1: sort of proprietary knowledge after a while, but what would you say, what going into Stargate SG-1, what would you say was your biggest, the big, biggest challenge that you had to So, someone say, Brad wanted to do something that was quite, a bit bigger than you thought possible, but something that you managed to pull off? Well,
0: the city rising from the water was really hard because water is traditionally one of those really difficult things, and it sure was. Uh, so that definitely had us worried. The, there were some nice shots that we did of the Death Gliders flying around. We wanted this shot of the Death Glider Bay. The art department did a sketch which I I don't have anymore, unfortunately. But you can see here some death gliders and some of these, uh, you know, hallway safety rail things. I'm sure there's a noun for that. And what we did is we laid out tape for the path that they'd have to run. So we filmed the, uh, the actors running, and then we filmed some other actors running we built the set and then the ships themselves were miniatures that we shot motion control. So the set was CG, I believe. And we laid it out to match the art department sketch. And then the models were shot uh, pretty good size. It was about four feet across. And, uh, you know, you can see the motion control rig lowering it down. And then we positioned it to several places and filmed the, uh, So we filmed all these elements
1: Mm.
0: and strangely, we don't see a death glider going down in this shot. Oh, there we go. That's right. So they're being lowered into place, which I thought was pretty cool. We have some energy field down there and we have some extra people walking around up top. Mm. It was just really fun. It was fun to be able to work on shows where you had the time and resources to do cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, this is, cause
1: this is the season finale. Well, maybe the opening of season two? It might have
0: been opening of season two. Yeah, because uh, yeah, they're escaping, aren't they, it's opening that's season right, two. great, yeah. I remember Richard Dean Anderson and I threw a party one year. Uh, there was a year where somebody died on the crew, and we gave the family the money for the wrap party. Right. Which... Wasn't a ton of money, but it was, you know, uh, probably $20,000 or something. And, you know, here, w- as a group, we will not have a party and we will give you all of the money. And Richard and I were thinking, well, why don't we throw a party? It was around Halloween. So he and I booked a local hotel. It was called the, uh, the Waldorf, which was famous for this tiki room. And uh, we booked the place and we threw a, a giant Halloween party which, uh, I do have pictures of. Wow. I mean, any of that would be amazing to see. Uh, the Tokub, Tokra ball, the, uh, yeah. we called it the, the spiky ball.
1: Yeah. Just the, the idea of it hitting him and firing him back across the room into the wall. And then that
0: was really difficult. That was really difficult. I, I, I remember when the ball was sitting there and I don't have that footage, but we, we, because of course the ball just sat there and it had these spikes on it and we then extended the spikes in CG. But when the, uh, when the ball, when they started coming out, we kind of pushed the set piece so it shook a little bit and that just made it look like it was interacting. Richard, his stunt guy, uh, who I talked to last week, two weeks ago, I, I called him by mistake, I kind of pocket dialed him. And we were actually talking about this scene by sheer coincidence because, yeah, he was up on a wire. There, there he goes. And what we did is, this is Richard. And then as soon as he moves there and he puts his head down, he put his head down on purpose. We transitioned him to his stunt actor. Because ah. you wouldn't do that with Richard Dean Anderson. I mean, he would have been up for it, but we weren't allowed to. Yeah, because that's, that's,
1: um, he went on to play Siler as a full-time, was like a part-time.
0: That's right. Regular. That's right. And then these shots, the special effects guys gave us the smoke hits on the wall. You know, Tilt gave us that great performance. Mm -hmm. And uh, these things were just, you know, CG rods that we animated. And it's kind of difficult because we have to follow where the actor went So the rods, you can see, are going back and forth, tracking his shoulder. Mm. And if they were really as strong and super as they were, they wouldn't do that. But if they stayed perfectly still, then it didn't feel right. So we had to kind of animate it a bit. But uh, very successful. And I think here, we probably just threw Richard against the wall. I'm sure he was just standing. And of course, the gate with the animation on the surface and that beautiful glow that we'd put over everything, which was really, really nice.
1: Hmm. And then the, uh, there's a shot later in that episode. I think it might have been a practical one with the um, uh, UV lighting. Oh yeah. Is there anything that you did whilst working on Stargate that impacted your later work? Anything that sort of brought with you?
0: uh there's that shot now you're just doing stargate or you're doing
1: atlantis as well well i i, I wanted to grab some bits and pieces about atlantis because i think it's going to be it they'll definitely be talking about it soon but at the moment it's uh, a 90s season so okay we're aiming for sg1 for the 90s but i know that anything you can say about atlantis will definitely be used at some
0: point okay uh I wonder if I have it's funny. I'm guessing it would, oh, have been
1: okay. a, it would have been a good couple of years between uh, your work on
0: SG-1 and your work on Atlantis. It definitely was. It was. I. Uh, when I started Atlantis, I was gearing up to work on iRobot, and that's why I only worked on the... Uh, the pilot, and then a first, the first couple of episodes.
1: When you say you, were, you designed the city, uh, how, do you, how do you go about that process? Because one thing that always stood out to me about Atlantis was that, although it was all the same architecture, every one of the towers felt quite different, which it sort of gave you more of, a, as, like, as the show went on, it gave you much more of a perspective of what part of the city you were in.
0: Yeah. We, we designed each sort of pod a little separately, but yeah, we, we were looking, I think that Phantom Menace had come out around this time and that probably influenced our interpretation a little bit cause they had these nice curving buildings. Everything didn't have to be straight. And we basically built about 30 buildings and then just reused them over and over and over again. And then whenever we needed a hero building, we'd build that one custom. You know, in part, we designed it, you know, we knew there'd be a couple of shots. We knew that we were doing this shot. We knew we had the big pullout. So, you know, we created those fins specifically to give us a cool thing to pass through. And, you know, we designed the shots to pass through the interesting parts of the city. We're obviously on a very long lens. This looks like a, it's 100 or 150. Uh, but yeah, the whole city was just... You know we designed the overall shape i'm wondering one of my friends printed 3d printed the atlantis city for me wow yeah it's actually amazing you can find a 3d model of the atlantis city and then print it off it was bright green do you feel like the the, the model was accurate to your original Image. It was spectacular, yeah. I don't know who did it. Somebody either took the original model and, th- you know, threw it up there, or, uh, or did somebody sat down and rebuilt the whole thing. Hmm. <laughs> it could have, definitely could have been either way. It's a lot of very
1: dedicated Stargate fans.
0: It hmm. was a hugely popular show. Hmm.
1: So whilst you were making, was it whilst you were making SG-1 or Atlantis that you set
0: up your company? I set up my company after a TV show called Friday the 13th. And that was around 86 or 87. And I went and I did a show called Tech War with William Shatner, who I got to know quite well. And I have a, a lot of William Shatner stories. Uh, We worked really hard together for several years. And then I was invited to go to Vancouver to work on uh, Outer Limits by the same producers who did Tech War. But basically, MGM was doing the Outer Limits. They were doing it in partnership with a company called Atlantis. And Atlantis said, well, there's this guy named Gedecki who did our effects on Tech War, and we think you should talk to him. So they got me on... uh, on Outer Limits, which I did for two years and then left. And then uh, we went off to do Stargate uh, two years after that. I I did a movie in between called Warriors of Virtue, which was quite a lot of fun. We prevised everything using little Fisher Price people. It's really funny. And we did it on purpose because it was funny. So we'd have these scenes where the Fisher Price people are like running. We have them we have this previous with Fisher price people running. And then that's what we showed them on the day when we were filming to make sure that we filmed something that we could work with. I'm just
1: thinking how much did things change for you between Stargate and, uh, Atlanta, well, SG one Atlantis. Cause obviously you had much more
0: playroom, I'd imagine with just six years worth of technology. The technology was a huge shift, but mostly on the 3D side. There was some software called Flame. The computers that we used were up to a million dollars, which was just brutal. Was Uh, it quite,
1: um, when you set your company up, was it quite a competitive market then? Well, it was, but it wasn't. It was a smaller industry. So you said that at the time it was a very fun experience. Yes. Has there been anything that's matched it since or do you think it was one of the best
0: you've worked on? Well, it depends on if you want me to tell the truth or not. Uh, uh, I'd say truth. I, uh, okay. It was great. At the time, it was really fun. I did a show lately with A&E called Six. That was probably the best show that I did. It was very, very military. Uh, The money was there to do a super job. We did a really good job on the show. Everybody was wonderful. That was probably my best show. And working on Blue Book was right up there with Stargate. But I definitely liked, you know, Stargate was great. We, you know, like, uh, to be clear, Stargate and uh, Atlantis were absolutely super shows. And they were certainly by far some of the funnest shows that I've done. Yeah, I really like this shot. I, I'll tell you a little story about it. I've got a story about everything. We were having a really hard time getting the uh, Death Gliders for this shot. They just weren't coming together. We hired somebody who was kind of new, and they were going to do all this great work, but they they completely, utterly, and completely butchered it. So we took the textures of these ships that we had, And we put them into our Infernos, which are 2D compositing machines that had a 3D animation capability. And we animated them inside our 2D box, which was crazy. Nobody, I mean, I'm sure people had done it, but it wasn't a standard way of working. But I was really happy with the results because the ships look very natural. And the movement, I I, I think this shot is really great. And uh, it was all done inside of uh, an Inferno, not using 3D to build the ships and then 2D to comp them. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I, I was really happy with this shot.
1: It's, uh, I think I, I sort of know what you're talking about, but it, I, I, would n- I would never pretend to know enough about uh, visual effects.
0: What I liked about, uh, I think, these shows is Brad and, and, and uh, Jonathan gave me a lot of... You know, they really trusted me to do what I felt was right. Okay, so here's a funny story. We built giant models of these things, and we blew them up. We filmed them from the ground. We hung them from construction cranes. I can definitely find you these pictures. Well, it was funny because we were filming in this field that we rented from the city, and right beside us was this ship, and Oliver Stone was filming something on this ship, and they had lights that were so big that we didn't need to use many of ours. We were just using their spill lights. But of course we were blowing stuff up which would mess with their sound. Mm -hmm. They were lighting some things that was messing with ours. So we went over to talk to them and we said, listen, we'll call you when we're about to shoot. So when we were gonna blow something up, they would stop shooting and they'd come and watch on the side of their ship. And then when we were done, they would go back to filming whatever important project they were on. Do you,
1: do you try and opt for a mixture of practical and computer generated, or is it, does it depend on the scenario?
0: Depends on the shot. Every shot has its own challenges.
1: The only other thing that I've got listed here that they wanted to speak to you about was uh, Johnny Mnemonic. Johnny Mnemonic, um, funny. The, uh, J- um, Jonathan said, your credit talks about video graphics for uploads sequence supervisor yes Uh, but he wanted to know exactly what you did on it and if you had any memories of the
0: film oh i sure do uh so johnny mnemonic was hard it was definitely a more difficult project stargate was fun and, and easy and everybody was getting along you know johnny mnemonic was a way bigger production uh Robert Longo, the director, was uh, was a lot of fun. I, I, I really liked Robert. He had this crazy edge to him. And the production designer was a guy named Nilo Rodas, who I keep in touch with. Nilo uh, is famous for designing Boba Fett's ship and uh, possibly Princess Leia's bikini. So uh, that's that. So Johnny Mnemonic, yeah, I was they had a visual effects company already doing the visual effects for Johnny Mnemonic. So that was already done. I was working on tech War at the time, so I couldn't uh, work on Johnny Mnemonic, but what was happening is I, I would go to dinner with, with William Shatner and Nilo. So because Nilo was the designer on uh, some of William Shatner's Star Trek movies. So they would go to dinner, they'd call me along. We used to go out, every two or three weeks for for months and months and months. Uh, And it's funny, there was this one uh, Thai place that we would go to in Toronto, and I I went back last year when I was there with my family. And uh, they still remember, like when I would show up, they'd remember that I used to go there with William Shatner all the time. So it was really nice. Uh, There's nothing useful in that story at all. Uh, (laughs) That's nice. But super guy, super guy, absolutely great guy. We got along super uh, well, worked really, really hard. They hired me after I was done Tech War to do all the playback graphics. There was a guy named Gary. Anyway, Gary was in charge. He was in charge of it, but I, I was brought on creatively to do the work. So the the big upload sequence at the end, I designed that to play back on all the different monitors. Uh, the scene where... Uh, the computer is talking to Keanu. I designed everything that went on the on on, on the computer. That was Robert Longo's wife who played the, the character, actually.
1: I mean it just sounds
0: like an amazing time to have been working on these things. It's really hard to explain because we were just working on them at the time. But looking back when we were there, remember, we were all from out of town. I was from Toronto. Uh, lots of the guys were from LA. Uh, some people were local. Uh, it was just working really hard, but you knew you were on something special. And it was, it was just fun. We'd always, you know, you'd go the extra mile when you could. I, I, I remember one night, and again, I, I've got pictures of this, but I, I can't, can't find them right now. Uh, It was about three in the morning, I was in the effects building, and I heard this sort of this whoosh noise. And I thought, well, that's really weird. And I looked around, I didn't see anything, didn't think anything of it. About three, maybe four in the morning, I got in my car and I went home. Well, as it turns out, uh, a fire started in one of the uh, special effects trucks that was parked nearby. And at about five in the morning, it blew up. I mean, it exploded and I I could have been there when it exploded and knocked the glass in and everything else, but fortunately I had gone home. Anyway, it was fun, it, it was definitely fun. It was a good group, everybody worked really hard. It was also a really early time for visual effects. And I've just, just realized
1: how much your time I've taken up. Um, so I just wanted That's to leave okay. you with one final question that just, if you wanted to say anything or make any kind of note for, the fans of the show who have watched and appreciated your work. Um, you don't
0: have to obviously, but, um, no, that's interesting. You know, uh, Stargate was one of those shows that I, you know, like for me, I tended to do the pilots. Uh, uh I like working on the original, uh, I, I like working on the pilots. I like doing the design. I like working out the world and I like working out the processes to me. That's the fun stuff. Season one is hard and we're figuring stuff out and we're trying to do it. Season two, you're really working it out. But by season three, hopefully it's a smooth running machine. Actually by season two, hopefully it's a smooth running machine. The smooth running machine has almost no interest for me. And I would leave and go on and do something else. And I know that maybe Brad and Jonathan were disappointed that I did that. And I I, I still feel bad about that, but I'm not gonna learn as much but the fans loved the show so much and supported the show so deeply that in the case of Stargate, and it's really the only, don't tell anybody else, but it's the only show where I do really regret not staying with it, because it did grow and it did change, but also there was so much fan interest. It, it was a legitimate hit. How often do you get to do that? And that's super cool and it's not a hit because of what we did it's a hit because of the way it it kind of resonated with everybody and that's that's something that you love to think you can plan it oh well we're going to manufacture a hit well we'll get you know we'll we'll get this guy in and we'll have them play this part and we'll have these guys do the effects but as you know it, it, it the fans are different every year and the fans are different every generation and there's something that resonates this year that didn't resonate last year and it was just super cool that they got into it so much and that they're still into it. Uh, I told you that story about Chris Dager, when he met um, Amanda Tapping, it's like, you know, 20 years later, he still couldn't talk to her. <laughs> She's right there. You could say hello, <laughs> but he couldn't do it. She was this, you know, she was a star, but she was Amanda Tapping. She was, it was just cool. It, it was a, it was great. It was one of the best shows I've worked on for sure. all right it was a pleasure talking to you john and um i hope to speak to you again i'll be right here